He may be the only Chicago journalist who sings on his news show. Some good news to give the people of the weekend. Yes. You may have heard him telling stories on Snap Judgment or hosting performances, including The Maw. Jacoby Cochran hosts CityCast Chicago, voted Best Podcast 2021 by the Chicago Reader. I'm Sheila Solomon with Rivet 360, and this is Chicago Media Talks, a show in which people in Chicago media talk about Chicago media. Jacoby, how CityCast Chicago different from other Chicago news shows? Oh, you jumped right in with the question. Um, I think one of the things that makes us different is we don't uh, overwhelmingly code switch, right? And we don't we don't change uh, the, the way we talk about issues uh, based on our audience. I think what you get when you listen to the show is a guy from the south side of Chicago talking about the things across his city that I understand, I don't understand, I'm confused about, I'm excited about. And so I think there is a natural curiosity in the show that often in other Chicago media, and I, I don't think it's any fault of anyone, is there's a slightly more authoritative tone uh, when you listen to to other podcasts or read other articles. And I, I try to let the listener and the reader know that uh, while I know a good amount about this city, I couldn't possibly know everything. So I'm trying to learn just like everybody else. Where'd the idea come from for creating the podcast? Oh, that's a good question. You'd have to pass that up to our CEO, David Plotz. About 18 months, maybe 19 months ago, I was just a communications professor, a storyteller, uh, a writer who loved the city of Chicago, but I never imagined being a journalist or being someone who spoke on all of the different things that were happening in our city, whether it be sports or culture or, or you know, what the hell is going on in the city council this week. Uh, I felt as someone who who spent a lot of time reading this information, but, you know, I, I never really wanted to speak on them on an everyday basis. And so the idea to start CityCast Chicago is above me. But when they reached out to me, I think one of the first things they asked me is, you know, why do I love my city? And I spent the next hour and a half, I think, given this sort of unscripted, impromptu example. And I'm shocked they still hire me because it's only a 15 to 20 minute podcast or an hour long retort. I don't know, gave the best impression, but um, I think by the end of it, they saw someone who was, you know, just really dedicated to the to the city of Chicago from, um, I think, just a lived experience kind of perspective. Most of CityCast Chicago podcasts end with some good news. Some good news. <laughs> Why is that, Jacoby? I have a problem. That's the reason. Because between lead producer Carrie Shepard and myself, we are singing about 40% of the day. And so I, I didn't really notice it about myself that I'm I'm constantly, you know, just singing my way through my daily tasks. I'm singing through the news I'm reading. I'm singing through my my commentary on a movie or an album I just just listened to or just watched. And you know, so when they told me in those first few weeks to really try to make the show sound like me. Uh, I struggle with that because as a natural performer, I think I tend to, uh, I don't know, be so good at curating a performance that what it means to be off the cuff or to be authentic, you know, is, is sometimes lost on me because I'm always shaping performances with the audience in mind. And so when they asked me to just like, you know, do the news the way I would do it, the first thing I thought of was that melody. And I, you know, I appreciate that the team encouraged it, that fans who've, you know, come up to us in the months and, and year and a half since 
have encouraged me to continue doing it because I'm a little skeptical. I wonder if people actually like it. Um, but you know, it, it really is just a, a daily part of my uh of my life, just kind of singing randomly. So I I thought, why not? So what are some of your favorite things about hosting a podcast in Chicago? Uh, one is I get paid to learn about my city. You know, incentivizing learning is, you know, it's not a terrible thing. <laughs> it's, you know, three million people live here. We got 50 wards, you know, 22 or some odd police districts. There's uh, hundreds of schools. There, there's so many things going on at any day in Chicago. And prior to the podcast, I thought I was doing a bang up job of reading my daily news uh, tracking the most important topics going throughout our city, figuring out what are the cool events happening or, you know, what, what's some dope spots to eat across the neighborhoods. And then you start the podcast and you realize you don't have a clue what is really going on in this city every day. And so it's given me an opportunity, you know, to learn about places like, you know, Jefferson Park that I've never been in in my life or go up and do a neighborhood guy one week in Rogers Park and pop down to Auburn, Gresham or Inglewood the next day. Um, that ability to constantly be in conversation with the city and moving around geographically, um, it, it would have never happened had, had this podcast not, not come to my life. So how does having grown up here influence how you interview your guests? <laughs> um, I think at first it brought a sense of pride, right? That they knew, regardless if they didn't know me, that they were talking to somebody who had a deep uh, affection for the city, somebody who was born and bred here, somebody who has the, you know, the Chicago arrogance kind of built into my soul. But as the podcast has gone on, what's been interesting is I think it's given me like a radical empathy and a uh, ability to like step back from my personal perspective. Because when I first started CityCast Chicago, or uh, when I first started hosting CityCast Chicago, um, I probably could have told you very quickly, you know, this is what it means to really be from here. These are all the coolest spots. This is where you have to go if a tourist is coming into town. And so many of those answers have been challenged. They've changed. They've, you know, come into contact with people who just like me grew up born and raised in this city, but they grew up in Uptown or they grew up in La Vieta or they grew up over in Austin. And, and what those those answers are you know, those subconscious directly off the top of the dome answers, they change from neighborhood to neighborhood. And it so it's given me an empathy and a perspective of like, you know, no one person, no one neighborhood, no one demographic uh, has the ability to speak for this city, but rather be in, be in conversation with everybody else's version of the city. And, um, you know, there, there's still some things that I'd be like, all right, no, we don't do that here. We don't do that. Uh, but but I think it's with, again, it's a lot more understanding and patience. So what myths or misconceptions do you find yourself having to debunk about your hometown? Yeah, I think uh, I think people think we are desensitized to the the national narrative about Chicago. And we're very much not. It hurts to see people kind of callously like drag our names through the mud anytime they want to talk about, you know, social inequity or they want to talk about what's what's wrong with uh, the city, when people want to talk about gun violence or, or the state of the black community, Chicago has become this catch term. You, you might as well call me. Um, I, I'm not sure exactly what I can. I can't say I'm going to keep it real. You might as well just call me a nigga to my face. 
Like, if you're going to disrespect me by using my my city's name as a way to say that we are less than, that we are undeserving, that we are somehow uh, bathed in corruption to the point that we don't can't tell our scent from 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 the scent of the larger problems. I, I think that's a huge misconception because it means people are less likely to uh, really get to the root causes of Chicago's ills. And if you get to the root causes of Chicago's ills, then you find yourself closer to the root causes of all of America's problems when so much of the experimenting on, you know, how our society will move forward took place on these hollow grounds of Chicago. And so, you know, rather than writing us off as, you know, completely jaded to the state of our city, I think people should probably do more contextual work on their own because it might show them something about themselves or their own cities. What's the most difficult interview you've had? That's a really good question. Um, uh, Lakeidra Chavis, who's a fantastic um, journalist who at the time was working with the Trace, mm -hmm. I believe is with the Marshall Project now. And it was very early in my, my CityCast tenure. And we were talking about a particularly uh, devastating weekend in which multiple people uh, lost their lives or were injured to gun violence. And it was another one of those conversations where we are, on one hand, trying to memorialize the individuals whose lives were lost. On the other hand, we're trying to provide comfort and understanding to the people who have to move on in the wake of these tragedies. And then on the other, we are defensive and we are challenging yet another attempt to uh, bastardize Chicago's name, to to make us a monolith, to, to treat our pain uh, like sport as if it's something to just like ha ha and, and kiki about. Um, and at that time, I just be real. I think one of the reasons they hired me is because there is a level of emotion on my sleeve. There is, you know, I'm, you know, as a performer, I'm willing to explore my own vulnerabilities. And at that time in the conversation or at that time in the podcast and with that conversation, I don't know if I had the kind of emotional levies in place to have these conversations on a daily basis. And it, and it wrecked me. I was angry. I was frustrated. I was crying. I was emotional. I was, you know, uh, distraught. I was frustrated. And I think none of those emotions are wrong, uh, but, but they overwhelmed my ability to stay present in the conversation uh, to serve as a, as a conduit for the listener. And, and, and so that made it a really difficult conversation to get through. What's the difference between hosting a podcast and being a journalist? That's a very good, uh, man, you got a lot of good questions here. <laughs> uh, and I want people to know she did not send me any of these, right? Which I remember sending an email like, will I get these ahead of time? I don't send, I send 99% of my guests zero questions. So I, I didn't actually expect to get them. Um, I actually don't think there's a major difference. I think the difference comes in what our expectations of the two mediums are. I think we, I think it's easy to think that podcasting and journalism are mutually exclusive. Uh, podcasting is a medium. Journalism is a praxis. It's a way of going about learning and dispersing information. Again, two very simple definitions. But um, I think when people think of podcasts, they think grab a mic, uh, speak your truth, and either ignore or push to the side your obligation or responsibility to fact check that truth in real time or make sense of that truth in conversation with other people. 
and, and to that point, I think podcasting is a beautiful medium. Like the value of someone being able to just share their lived experiences, I think is crucial. And then on the other hand, I think journalism has, has become this thing that people think is in so many ways detached or distant from lived experience that journalists kind of eat up people's stories and just like spew them out very quickly. Um, and that they leave them their emotions or themselves at home and, and are sort of more, you know, logic oriented. Uh, and I think both of those are oversimplifications. I think uh, journalism really is about your, your method, your obligation, you, you know, what are the, uh, the things that govern how you approach a story. Do you, you approach a story with a sense of, of humanity and, and, and context? And I think podcasting can be a space for all of that. I think CityCast Chicago, you know, our lead producer was with NPR for 15 years and our junior producer, you know, worked in breaking news at the Sun-Times and led newsrooms in Seattle. And, you know, our CEO is one of the longest hosting podcasters in our country and has been with Slate Magazine and a former editor-in-chief. And so there's a huge amount of journalism and integrity that goes into our show and newsletter every single day. I think podcasting just reminds us that unlike, you know, CBS, I mean, that's my voice, right? I didn't come in here today on city, right? No, no offense to none of my people at CBS. They just, right. There, there's a voice that they often turn on. There's a, you know, people can't go as far with the things they want to say or, or, you know, rally against what is sometimes openly, um, toxic and dangerous information. And so podcasting gives us a little more lee room, but not at the expense of our our integrity, our desire to, to tell real engaging stories. By the way, that question came from a member of the audience. Oh, well, thank y'all for asking. <laughs> um, it, it's something because to be real, it's something we've struggled with. Right. When it, when it first happened, when they called when they called me, it was like, you know, we are doing a podcast. And my first thought, even though I listened to the daily, right, I listened to This American Life, you know, uh, my, my first thought, honestly, was just like Joe Budden, right? Just a dude in a room with other dudes talking about dude stuff, no facts, no real sense of obligation to like the truth or each other or their audience, which, again, there there is clear entertainment in that. And then they were like, no, we're doing daily news. And I was like, oh, OK, all right, I guess. I could do that. I understand that. But I'm like, well, does that limit? Does that mean I can't, you know, say that a public official is 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 being ludicrous or being ridiculous? Do I always have to bite my tongue? And it wasn't that either. And so there, there I think that City Cash Chicago is trying to find the happy medium in between. Whereas like if you listen to one of our episodes, you are going to hear banter and us going back and forth and and our volume and our energy being you know, you know, spiking versus keeping that, uh, you know, kind of even keel that a lot of news organizations tend. But at the same time, you can value the things that we're reporting on with the same level of trust as Block Club or or the Sun Times or the Tribe. And uh, a lot of that has to do is because many of our guests are from Block Club and the Sun Times and the Tribe, and, uh, and and we work really hard to 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 make sure that we're in conversation with. You know, the people we admire and, and that we're accessible uh, to, to the people we want to serve. So how would you get connected with the moth and snap judgment? 
When I got back from Syracuse, where I got my master's degree in late 2015, I was at a point where most of the performing I had done in my life had an academic tint to it. And so I, I come from the world of organized speech teams or debate, which many people will call it. Uh, and so there's not an easy route from being on a speech team, being on a debate to, you know, being in the theater or being on podcasting or, you know, being a comedian or, you know, a, a live musician, whatever the case may be. And so when I got back to the city, I had this itch to perform, but none of the outlets, improv comedy, mm -hmm. stand up, theater, none of them felt accessible to me because I didn't have training. I didn't have connections. I didn't realize maybe how inviting some of these mediums were. And so when a friend took me to the moth at, I believe at the time it was at Haymarket, um, you know, I just really appreciated this opportunity to get up in front of people and to explore my craft a little bit more to figure out if there was anything I had to say after, you know, years and years of being on the speech team. Was I actually a good performer or was I just good at forensics? And, you know, I got 11 national championships, so I know I'm good, but I didn't know if that translated outside of this this bubble in this world. And so from the moth to snap judgment, to grown folks stories on the South side to, you know, story jammer or one of a, a dozen other storytelling shows in Chicago. I want to thank the storytelling community because at the end of the day, just getting an, uh, a kind and captivated audience being given the opportunity, whether it's five or 10 minutes to, to workshop your thoughts, um, and, and then to be invited to so many shows so quickly over the last few years was, you know, I, I never expected it. And so, you know, uh, to anybody is interested in a moth, I always tell them, you know, give it a shot. If that's not your vibe, there are so many other storytelling shows in the city that you can, can dip your hand in, but it's been really cool. I mean, I just got back from, uh, champagne last week. I'm going to Boston in a couple of weeks with a moth. I was in Martha's Vineyard a few weeks ago telling my story. And so and went from signing up and putting my name in a hat to, you know, I'll host a moth main stage in Lawrence, Missouri uh, at the beginning of November. And, and so it's been a really cool journey. And I'm, I'm grateful to the moth. What other shows are you hosting or, or have you hosted? Uh, another one of my favorite shows in the city is Karaoke Storytellers. Uh, we're back December 18th. It was started by uh, my boy, Connor Gorman, who is a fantastic improv comedian, uh, karaoke singer in Chicago. And it was another one of those ideas where, uh, to me, I thought the nicest audience in live performance was storytelling. And Connor believes that the nicest audience in live performance is karaoke. And so these two worlds smashed together just give you you know, not only this really beautiful experience at Shuba's where we are right now, where you get the lights, you get the smoke, yeah. you get the, you know, you get the crisp audio, you get the the karaoke words playing behind so you can participate. But then you also get to find out why does this song matter to a person? Who is this person a little bit? And, you know, we've had Lisa B come through and uh, Lily B and, you know, Andrew David, you know, some, some really dope people come through um, and, and it's been a fun show so far. Jacoby, who are some of your role models? You, you really got me. This is the one you should have. I need a little prep on this one because uh, my generic answer at first is my mother. Uh, that was the first person who taught me what it meant to be a storyteller. She was the first person to tell me, you know, pick my head up when I when I talk to somebody. She was the first acting coach I ever got when she said, you know, 
you know, act like you got some sense in the words of Jamie Foxx, you know? And so watching her navigate the the challenges in her life, being a young mom of, of three and, you know, even now to be in her fifties, trying to define what her identity is for herself and, and what makes her happy and who are the people she wants in her life. It, it, it's a really good example of you're always growing. You're always changing. My mom has never, you know, made herself seem like she had it all figured out. Um, and, and so I'm really like deeply grateful to that. Uh, another one of my role models and one of the people I look up to, I just had them on the podcast today is Eve Ewing. Um, you know, Eve Ewing is one of those people who, when I first came in contact with her poetry, with her words, it was like she was putting into words the things that I don't have the ability to say or I don't have the talent to construct. It's the same way I felt about Natalie Moore's Southside. These are people who, you know, I've always had a deep admiration for Chicago, but I, I didn't grow up in the arts or in poetry or in journalism. My, you know, my, my forensics background gave me a really strong performance background and a, and a speech writing background, but you know, I don't think it nurtured the the way I wanted to communicate about Chicago and the ways that I saw present in their work. And so the first time I read Ghosts in the Schoolyard or Electric Arches or Southside, I, I felt a deep kinship with those women. And, you know, it to this day, I'm, I'm grateful to them both making time for CityCast Chicago. I'm grateful that they continue to share their art uh, with the rest of the world in you know, again, it's another reason I thank the the, the pod because, you know, let's be real. I don't think I would have got a chance to just sit down with Eve or Natalie for about an hour and and chop it up with them. But those are those are two of my artistic uh, role models. I, I I love the memoir slash poetic slash historical nonfiction genre. I love how they blend those three genres in a very uh, kind of marvelous way. And I, I like to think that that's what City Cast is. It's it's part memoir, part historical nonfiction. And it's and it's some days it's poetry. And I, I just think that's that's pretty damn cool. Here's another audience question. What are your favorite indie shows in Chicago? Oh, my favorite indie shows. What, what do they mean? Like my favorite like places to go see an indie show, my favorite places to go see. Will you name the ca- the karaoke? Hmm. Show, oh, so I'm, I got you. Oh, um, so rather whether if it's live music or if it's just kind of a, a storytelling show or anything, right? Storytelling performance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Grown folk stories is one of my favorite. It started out of the silver room over in high park. I think they're going to be at Bronzeville winery this Thursday. Uh, the host shout out to Binky, uh, shout out to Eric Williams, uh, shout out to the former host. Uh, that was the storytelling show that I think, while the moth let me know that there was a stage for me, grown folk stories let me know there was an audience for me. Uh, because while I appreciate the moth, uh, when, I, when I'm standing on stage at Lincoln Hall or, or Space in Evanston, you know, largely the moth's demographic it don't look like me, right? You know, they may be some of the most, you know, liberal, progressive podcast listening whites in our city. Uh, and, and there's always, you know, you know, black folks, brown folks, people of color in the audience, uh, but but largely the demographic doesn't look like me. And so while I was so grateful for the stage, there was still a concern as a performer of like, is this translating? Does this make sense? Do I have to, you know, 
change this or dumb it down or, or make it make more sense for this audience, which I, which I was never interested in. And so once I went to grown folks stories, it reminded me and comforted me in knowing that uh, I don't have to change my myself or my my storytelling praxis. And I think I was better served for it. I think I went back to the moth way more unapologetic. Um, and even after I stopped performing as a storyteller, I think the reason I returned as a host is because, you know, I, I wanted to make sure that that audience, which, you know, in so many ways provides refuge for storytellers, I wanted to make sure that they were still being challenged. That, that they were still, you know, forced to listen to stories that are outside of their ability to comprehend. And with an open mic, you, you may, may not know who's getting pulled that night. But I know if I'm on the stage, you're going to hear it regardless whose name is in that hat. You're going to learn a little bit something about the South Side. You're going to learn a little bit more about the complexity of this city, even if it's through a 30-second bit. Um, and, and so I just... Uh, you know, I, I relish the opportunity to to not only get on the stage to work on my craft, but to, you know, challenges the challenge the audiences I'm in front of. So you're teaching journalism classes at DePaul, right? I teach business communication at DePaul and the intro to communication at a few other schools. What inspired you to become a teacher? I think my speech background gave me a really good understanding of like how I like to learn. And so while I was going to school, I'd have these professors who I didn't necessarily connect with. I didn't relate to, and I did never felt that they made any attempt uh, to relate to our students. Now that I'm a professor, I can, I understand some of that, right? It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. Everybody ain't got it. Um, but I always loved the way my coaches taught me, right? Whether it was, you know, and people not may not, you know, love all of these people, but, you know, whether it was Dan or whether it was, you know, Adam or Tanya or Mike, you know, whether it was Karen, th these are all alums of my, of Bradley University where I, but I, I appreciated the way that they taught me and the way that they coached. And so uh, when there was an opportunity for me to move from one career back into the education space, teaching was something that jumped out at me because I, I wanted that opportunity to connect with students, to provide a different experience for them. Um, and, and so I like to think that my classroom is a slightly different experience, a little more relaxed, uh, a, a little more open to the, the way students speak and the, 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 the references that are important to them and, and the context that's important to them. And so teaching just seemed like a really dynamic space for me to not only continue to work with students, uh, to provide students with a, a different learning experience, but uh, it provides myself with a different learning experience. I pick up a lot of things from the topics they choose to cover and the, the perspectives they bring to the classroom. Gee, you are a storyteller and you're a professor and you're a podcaster. I'm sure I'm leaving something out. How do you balance all of these roles? Mm, not well. I think that's that's the number one answer. Um, one, I think it helps that none of my roles require me to lose a part of myself. I think so many I'm so privileged that, you know, most of the jobs that I get to do, they feed me and they serve me. I know so many people who go to work and they have to shut off the best parts of themselves or their interests, 
Um, I know some people who, who go to work and they have to turn on parts of themselves that they would prefer to only have, you know, amongst the people they they call family and they call friends. And so, you know, on the one hand, it, it is really difficult to balance, you know, teaching three classes, making an original podcast five days a week, performing three or four times a week. Um, and, and it is not enough to say I enjoy those things. You can still be burned out by the things you enjoy. Uh, but I have to acknowledge the immense amount of privilege I have that the the idea of balancing these these different tasks feels uh, exciting and feels challenging and feels worthwhile. It it feels purposeful. Um, and as someone who do, who is not always, you know, who does not always speak from the language of like purpose or destiny or, or kismet, you know, the the these different things that I call my my career, uh, they, you know, they they feel really, um, re- really linked to my identity in a way that it, it doesn't feel uh, like much labor. What's your take on the state of journalism? I, I don't know if I'm the perfect person to answer to that. Um, I think this podcast has given me more trust for sure, um, because it's easy to, you know take let's say you know the chicago sun times or block club and it's just like you read an article and you don't even think about the author you don't think about the neighborhood you don't think about the research you just say i didn't like that headline or i didn't really like that coverage i didn't really care for that i don't agree with that and it's really easy to throw that in the trash right pitch it to the back of your mind but you know now i know who jamie nesbitt golden at block club is and i you know, I've talked to Pascal and I've, I've you know, Ariel or Quinn. And, and I, I know that these are real people who actually live in these neighborhoods. I, you know, I've talked to Stacey St. Clair, um, you know, from 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 the trib a, a, a bunch of times or Manny Ramos from the Sun-Times. And, you know, 80, I keep naming names because I love all of these people and I'm so grateful to the work they do. And I don't want to feel like anyone's left out. But now that I've met so many of these journalists, I see how much work goes into it. I see level of integrity that that they put into this. I see how much work it takes for Brandon Pope, you know, to to be the presence that he is online. And it's, it's increased my respect and my trust for these individuals. You know, they still work inside of systems that I think largely need to reckon with the damage that they've done, need to be held more accountable. But I think that's one of the difficult parts about living in systemic oppression. Is that it's really hard to separate the individual from the system? Because at this point, honestly, the genuineness of an individual doesn't effing matter if your system is completely perverse, is completely damaging. It does not care about the humanity of individual people, right? The, the journalists at the Tribune are amazing. Alden Capital that owns the Tribune, I fear. And I wonder if they're doing damage to our democracy and not in just a, you know, cliche kind of way, but in a very detrimental way. But damn, how do I separate all of these amazing people who do work every single day in the system uh, in power? And I mean, I'd argue that that's one of capitalism's greatest strengths, that by mur- blurring, blurring those lines and making the waters murky, um, it leaves us very much a f- without uh, solution-oriented thinking. And so, 
I, I know I've rambled a bunch here, but it, it's it's doing this job has made me more trusting of of individual journalists, more thoughtful in my commentary on the work that they produce. Um, but but I've also you know I, I still remain skeptical of you know journalism at large because again it's it's a it's a corporate entity that serves the bottom lines of someone somewhere who's very disconnected from the stories that that these people are telling and so it's a it's a paradox so what kind of conversations take place in your class with these communication students Mm -hmm. i'm especially thinking of the kind of careers they may be interested in and whether or not journalism might be one of those careers From an intro to communications perspective, I think a lot of our classes deal with uh, anxiety, communication apprehension, uh, and really talks through the different techniques of how to best express your thoughts, your ideas, and your desires. And so I think the best way to do that is really to open up the floor to see, you know, what are students bringing to the table? What are they interested in? So many of my, my speeches, they rely on the students to pick topics that matter to them that they're, they're deeply dedicated to or curious about. Uh, and, and so there's a lot of room to explore your own accent and, and your own desires. And it, it, there's room for you to, to mess up and there's room for you to challenge what a good communicator looks like or, or what it means to be a strong public speaker. And then inside of organizational communication, I really think I'm trying to divorce students from viewing themselves as commodities or their value based on the career they go into. And so I want to teach students how to communicate in a way that frees them in even a small way from, you know, this this very much neoliberal capital way of viewing organizational relationships, organizational success. Um, and so you, you hear a lot of conversations about us, you know, breaking down, you know, interview pedagogy or, 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 or breaking down job descriptions or, you know, breaking down what it means to have a personal brand. And I allow students to, to really build back up and to construct uh, the form of organizational communication that makes them feel best served. And so you don't have to create a resume that looks like everybody else's resume. You can create one that speaks to the career, the interest you're going into or allows you to take creative liberties. You can, you know, talk about the items and the topics that, you know, excite you and wake you up. And and so I think there's a lot of focus on uh, individuality, but not the type of individuality that keeps us disconnected from one another. So does journalism play a role in these conversations? Yeah, I I, I think media literacy is also really important. I want, I, I try to provide students with Uh, resources, readings, videos, lectures, you know, even activities that really get them to think about what are the sources that they are, um, you know, reading, listening to. I I get them to ask some really interesting questions. A lot of students are 18 to 22. And at that point in your life, you have more uh, beliefs than you have information. Right. You have more beliefs than you have experiences. And when you start to interrogate why people believe the things that they believe, you realize that a a good amount of the time it actually isn't built on individual work or individual analysis. But I don't 
arrive to that point to attack someone, right? To say, oh, you 18, what the hell, you know, you don't know anything. You haven't lived anything. No, 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 no. Let's look at that from a biological perspective. You need to believe more things than you have the capability of learning. It allows you to do things, right? It allows you to make goals, to set plans, allows you to, to build relationships. It allows you to come to understand self-awareness and your own identity. You need the ability to make sense of information before you have the ability to make sense of information. And so I, I, I try to help students investigate, not by attacking their religion or their political beliefs or their economic beliefs, but really asking them to trace those beliefs back. And when you trace them back, you ultimately run up against a wall in which you no longer have cognizant memory of how this was introduced into your life. So there's an opportunity here not to dismantle everything you believe, though I'm down with some of that, but to investigate why you believe the things you believe and to start to intervene in taking even a small semblance of control over that. Because even still, even once you put everything in your face, you're not going to drop your religion tomorrow. You're not going to drop your politics tomorrow. You're not going to drop your friends and your networks tomorrow. But you might be more open to kind of a full scale uh, breakdown of what those things are, how, what they mean, how they relate to you. Um, and so that's what I'm really trying to teach students how to whether it's a news article, right, a blog post, a tweet or even their own belief systems. Well, how do you approach those with, you know, with with grace, with some form of kindness and, and, and with a real uh, dedication to understanding at the end of the day? Because understanding and comprehension, they take effort. You know, it's real easy to just to pick up a belief. Um, it's hard to justify it. Jacoby, what are your closing thoughts? Well, first and foremost, listen to CityCast Chicago at chicago.citycast.fm. We've produced, uh, you know, depending on what metrics you use, about 400 plus episodes in the last 18 months in the same number of newsletters. Um, and beyond that, I think, you know, to love a city like Chicago uh, is is no easy feat, right? I mean, there have been poets, whether Eve Ewing or Carl Sandburg, who have tried to put into words what it means to love this place. Uh, uh, but I hope that people will define that for themselves, that they will get out into these neighborhoods, that they will listen to different perspectives, different organizers, that they'll take a step back and ask why does that highway run through that neighborhood? Why does the water need to be ran for five minutes before I pour myself a glass? You know, I just want through this podcast for people uh, to change what it means to love a place, because I don't think that is, you know, complete ignorance to all of the ills there. And I also don't think that that is a, a you know, a complete apathy or pessimism to the beauties of this place. And so, um, you know, I, I just hope people will will come to love Chicago in the ways that I do, either through listening to the podcast, reading the newsletter, um, or getting out here and exploring it on their own. My closing thoughts, tune into Jacoby's podcast and hear from a journalist who practically shouts from the rooftop his love for Chicago, a superb conversationalist, he always sounds as if he's just talking to a buddy. And no matter who he's interviewing and what topics they're exploring, 
he's always going to leave you with some good news. Some good news to get you through. My guest in this edition of Chicago Media Talks, recorded via Zoom and broadcast on YouTube October 17th, 2022, has been Jacoby Cochran, host of the CityCast Chicago podcast. You can reach him at jacoby.cochran at citycast.fm, and you can reach me at sheila at rivet360.com. For producers Jesse Batend and Janine Harston and everyone at Rivet360, thanks for listening to Chicago Media Talks.